Hi, I want to welcome you to Growing Nimble Families, where we encourage the celebration of school-age kids. My name is Melitza. I hope this show is a place where mothers like you can safely explore a slower, simpler and playful lifestyle so that you can get to the heart of what your family needs to thrive both now and in the years to come. Kids fight independence as soon as they can talk. I do it. As the kids get older, they want to control and the power to make their own decisions. They want agency. Agency is the capacity of individuals to act independently and make their own free choices. As parents, it's hard to release that and let kids take on more agency because we have wisdom and life experiences that support our decision making that are probably significantly more developed than our kids. How much agency we give has boundaries like ethnicity, social class, gender, religion and the many customs that we have. It also changes from family to family. It takes a lot of trust that first time you leave the kids alone at home, even if it's for a couple of moments or five minutes as you go down the road. It takes a lot of trust to put them on the bus and know that they'll be safe and everything will be fine, to let them get on the plane by themselves for the first time, to go on that school trip, to go to that party. You want to know that things will work out positively. We worry and we fret and we often delay this whole process of letting go. This episode is not about when to let go, but about the small steps you can use to move forward with your kids so that they can have more agency and you feeling somewhat comfortable. As parents, it's totally normal for us to be wondering and worrying And it's also good for us to empower our kids to feel courageous, brave and bold to try things. After all, they will leave home and we would wish for them to have tried and tested ways of handling new situations that come their way. I'm going to talk about this through guided homework to independent homework. We sit with our kids as we hear them read and complete those first math games and hear them repeating those spelling words. This is usually our first types of experiences that we have with homework. We are fully all in, sitting there with them, eliciting information from them, modeling it all back, showing them how to do it, sitting side by side. We negotiate the tantrums, the frustrations, the rebellion and the tears. At some point we realize we need to do less sitting with the kids or something comes up and we can't do that and we want to let them handle the work themselves. While many kids naturally just graduate to working more alone, some children need some specific support to learn how to work independently on their homework and we all could do with brushing up on how we can do this. So as we go through today's episode, it'd be great for us to all, I think, reflect on what we are doing ourselves and think about how we are doing this guided to independence. Where are we along this continuum? Because we're all in different places and you know what's best for your family. So where are you and do you need to be moving further in one direction or not? 
So one thing that we always talk about is trying out different homework areas. We all respond differently to noise, space, and distraction, and our kids react differently as well. Try their bedroom, the table, the study, the library, at school, a friend's house, as many different places as you can. Ask them how it worked out and notice yourself how much work really gets done and the quality of the work. Why so many places to try? Well, what works for us as parents isn't often what we believe will work well for our kids. Many times that is true, they will do the same thing that we do, but if you have more than one child, there's a likelihood that there's going to be at least one or two of them that will work in a completely different way to at least one of the different parents that are in the household. I like quiet, not even the hum of a computer and the AC, so my child will too, right? Except maybe they have a deep inner life and with that quiet, their mind runs away with them with stories and ideas and past conversations and they all bubble up and that child is distracted by all these new ideas bouncing around in their head because there's silence. There's so many things to do that they keep going, oh, and then they pop up and go and do something else and they don't get any of their work done because for them, silence isn't good. Kids may learn better in study groups, bouncing ideas off with their peers, than spending time at home working independently. We will never know unless we've given it a try to see. Being able to teach and explain concepts is a powerful learning tool that's just not the same when you learn it alone. There are many ways to do it alone, but being able to work in a group, a study group, and learn how to bounce those ideas off each other and to be able to explain a concept is something that all kids need to learn how to do. There can be a problem with working in a bedroom. Bedrooms can be shared with other siblings and in homes there might be many things that are going on, especially if you have a room that's like a thoroughfare and, and kids go in and out. The library might be a good place to go because it's completely distraction free. You may not have access to digital devices that would distract you, or it might just be because it's a fixed amount of time that you can say, we are dedicating 30 minutes to this activity or two hours or whatever it is, and while you are at the library, that's what you do. It might be that if we take our work to the bedroom, it changes what our bedroom is about. Some people like their bedroom to be exactly that, a bedroom where they go in to sleep. And if they have textbooks and homework sheets that are lying about, it weighs on their mind and it plays on their mind and, and they work too much and do too much or they can't sleep because they're worrying about what's happening. Sometimes they're worrying about it and don't even know they're worrying about it. It's just because it's out. So some people need a bedroom that is just a bedroom. So having their desk in there or working in there can cause problems. The most important part for this example is trying out different homework areas. And also sometimes one homework area was working just fine, but now it's not. So coming back to the drawing board and trying out different areas is a really good way to focus on the homework and make sure that we're going from guided homework to independent homework is finding the right place that works for that particular child. 
in our household. I have children that work differently on this particular issue. So it's taken a little while and it's still a bit of an ongoing process of trying to find the right place for them to do their homework. And actually sometimes it varies per subject. Sometimes one works for one and one works for another. So just having the flexibility to be able to talk about the homework and where to, to do the homework are not being just restricted to one place. Eventually, you can work towards that restriction if that's something that you want to do, but being open-minded about what you do at the start really is helpful. So that's the first thing, trying out different homework areas. The second thing is kids wildly underestimate the time needed for homework and studying. Since we've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, we tend to wield this stick and set limits a little too quickly. If the kids come to the conclusion before we do, this is a win. No one likes to be told what to do or manipulated. But if we choose to encourage a guiding relationship where we are there to support, not trip you up, and when things don't work as they will, we can look with you or be there as you work through. This type of conversation takes time, patience and space for growth to happen, which of course means that there's plenty of opportunity for things to go wrong, mistakes and failure to happen. Because of that, many parents leap over this straight to telling the kids how long to do things. I want to encourage you to slow down and work through this. School-age kids have a long time to get this right. They learn through action and experiences and not just through us telling them. An example, a child comes home with 10 spelling words. They have an activity sheet to choose four activities that range from write each word three times to each word alternate upper and lower case letters or use rainbow letters. Just glancing at the sheet, Already your calculating radar has pinpointed the quickest ones to do against the time you have today, followed by the days until it's due to be handed in. You've all calculated that really quickly. As your child is choosing the right each word in a sentence, underline the spelling word and draw a picture and your heart sinks. It's the longest one, it takes the biggest amount of time, they don't often get the sentence right, you can just see ahead of you a long time working with this child. Often at this point the parent is ready to mandate or defend a point of view with the intention that, well, they know best. Perhaps you do, but taking away the agency doesn't help the child figure out whether they can do the sentence picture one that they really want to do or not. It's not an all or nothing homework. So many times we think it's my way because your idea stinks. Here, in fact, is a good time to gently guide them through what we are doing in our heads. All of that quick thought that we just did, that we actually talk it through with them. Talk through what you suggest and talk through what they are suggesting. Now again, it's really, careful that we have to be about how we talk about it. Are we talking about it with the bias in our voice and the sarcasm and it's clear that you want it the way that you want it or are you asking neutral questions and speaking in a way that holds both of the ideas so that they can see what's happening. Then allow grace and space. 
let them grow in that pause as you will have talked through your way of why you think that it was better to do the things that you suggested and why you think that there'll be troubles with the ones that they were suggesting. You've helped them through that process or you've helped them with the good things that they like about what they're suggesting. Now they might stumble. It may not work out as they expected. It might fail miserably and all the things that you talked about happened. You know, they got the spelling wrong. They ran out of time. They might just surprise you and it might fly. And that is a good thing too. Just the impact of talking through this whole process of why you think to do what you're doing helps the kids move from guided homework towards independence because you're giving them the tools to be able to work through their problems. Number three, projects, science fairs, PowerPoints and group working are something all kids will come up against and hit a hard brick wall. There are so many different ways to do any of those things that we've just talked about and there's so many variables that can change that have nothing to do sometimes even with our own child. It's just equipment or other people that can cause problems or buying resources or getting them that that can just knock the whole thing for six. If you're stuck with project working and maybe helping too much or not knowing how to split up project working, I have a whole episode, episode 201. If you go to growingnimblefamilies.com forward slash 201, you will find an episode that talks all about how to help your child break down projects and learn how to do them for yourselves. Because project working is not going away and the quicker the kids can learn the process of how to do it, they can practice that process. It's a messy process and they need to be able to make their mistakes and rally and get better at doing it. School age kids, especially six year olds up to 12 year olds, have the time to explore how to do this work well. They have time to learn about drafting, excellence, speed, quality, copyright, time management, plagiarism, and the joy of pain of doing the work. And finally seeing the final product. Kids soon start getting multiple pieces of homework. Some are due tomorrow, some in a few days, maybe even a long-term project or one that they need to collaborate with another student to produce. With so many moving parts and without a plan, this is where many kids come a cropper. They don't know how to prioritize. We have to teach them how to do it. In our house, we prefer a giant calendar and their school planner. Lots of kids prefer to prioritize in their head. Teach them more than one way and let them try out different ways and settle. There are study apps, there are online calendars, there are other systems. Um, your partner might have a different way than you do. Friends, other people do things. You can find things online about how to do these things. We just need to encourage them to take on the prioritizing while we model it, we share it, we support them and let them go with it. Number four, errors that we see. Oh, this is a hard one. The kids have done the homework and you look at the work because you're curious to what's been done and you see errors on the page or on the screen. 
It's so hard to not correct kids' work. I think we can all agree on that. There are ways to help them see corrections to make on their work. I want to go through a few of those to give you some ideas and examples. There is no real age limit or age start to doing some of these examples. It depends on what you would like to do and where your child is. All of them, I guess, you would have to kind of prime the kids with them beforehand and talk about how to do it. You need time to do all of these. So these aren't things that you can just kind of do on the fly. You would really need to spend some time explaining how to do it initially so that it's done well. One of the first things is finish early enough that there is time to edit your work. So many times kids think, I have this thought, there it is on the paper, bam, hand it in. Kids aren't used to drafting and editing as much and often don't see it as part of the writing process. The screwed up papers thrown on the floor, the books out as a project is compiled, the note taking. Instead, many of these things are now typed and they look neat. Spelling games are played with a piece of software. Nothing looks messy and in progress as much anymore, yet most of what they do will have to be in progress. We do our kids a better favor to talk about progress, editing and final versions. Show them a few things that they can do alone, like copy and paste their finished work into Google Translate. This way they can listen to their work read out back to them on a device. It's just like someone else reading out their work. They hear the punctuation errors. So as they're listening, there's no pause when they wanted one and they realize, oh, there should have been a comma there or a full stop. They hear the mistyped words and think, what was that word? And then they look and they realize, oh, it must be spelt wrong because that's not a word that I was expecting. There might be a funny, odd sounding sentence that looked okay when I wrote it, but because I missed my commas or semicolons, the wording wasn't quite there. When it's played back, it sounds a bit odd. It won't catch everything, but it will catch something. They can swing around at any time while they're listening and pause and change it and fix the error and then listen to it again. We all know that when we read, we read what we want to see. But when you put it into Google Translate, which is just Google, you just put Google Translate into Google, or in fact, you can just put translate and it will usually pop up. Google read what Google reads what it sees. Another thing to do is if they have an older sibling, ask them to read it over and tell them one mistake by underlining in pencil and dot one thing that they like, just one. This is a great way of fostering collaboration between siblings. And because you're only outlining one thing, it means that they really have to kind of bet on the one thing. As siblings, they probably can tell you five or six things that they've found and would take great joy in telling their sibling the five or six things that they've done as a mistake. But just finding one thing that they need supporting with is usually one kind thing that they choose. And then one thing that they really liked is also a really good thing to do to foster that collaboration between them. Being able to see the strengths in your siblings bears fruit later on, especially when they get into the upper school levels, 
when their sibling who just gets biology really well or gets maths really well, knowing that you have a friendly face and that's your sibling, when you're stuck, you know that you can help them and you know what you are good at in an area is a valuable life skill to know, when to ask for help and knowing your own worth. If your child is using Google Docs as they are submitting an assignment to maybe their Google Classroom or working on a collaboration with another student, then comments are a good way to talk about a few things that they might fix. The way you do that is you open your Google Docs page and you highlight the word or the sentence. And if you right click, you will find in that menu something that says comment. And in there, there'll be a dialogue box and you can type in the comment that you wish and it will appear on the sidebar. Also, when you just highlight the word, you will see a little plus sign in the sidebar. And if you click that, that will also take you straight to the comment as well. After you have done the comment, you can do as many different comments and they'll all appear in the sidebar and a highlight will remain. So when the student comes back and looks at the work, they'll see all these different highlights. When you put the cursor on the highlight, it will show the comment or you can click on it and the comment will come up. They can resolve the comment after they have worked on whatever it is. Maybe there's a question in there that you've asked them and then they can respond in the comment. There's a place where you can reply and you can also resolve it by saying, okay, I've done what they said and you can resolve it and it disappears. You can make all of those comments disappear as well. So this is another way that you can support our kids at home is by using comments. There is a temptation though to correct everything and to use that comment uh, capacity to comment on absolutely everything. You, we're not here to mark their work in that way. And so again, for us, just like with the students, it may be one or two things that you have decided that you want to talk to your kids about, or it might be nothing that you want to do at all. Whatever we do, we need to reduce slowly what we are doing and let them learn how to do that. And that's by showing them. Sometimes we will notice we are constantly telling them about the space between um, an end mark and the capital letter of the next one. They're just not doing it. So we can teach them that you this is something that you do and you can show them and highlight all of them. And so for next time they can do that. That might be the only thing that you mention, even though paragraphing isn't well or that they didn't show they're working on their math assignment or whatever the problem is, that you just pick one thing and you, you're able to help them with that. Or you may choose not to do anything at all. Another thing you can do is ask them, were there any words that you wrote that you weren't sure of when you wrote them? We all have a go at writing things down and if we're writing a document online, we often get the, the red squiggly line underneath it and we know to check the spelling and it will all be great. Encouraging our kids to be able to go back and do that. But there are some words that will look right, but aren't right. And they knew when they were writing them that that's what the problem is. So it kind of encourages them to go back and reflect on their own work. Choosing one or two words to go back and look at, up to maybe five words that they want to choose. But again, we have to be careful because you want them to be proactive in looking at their own work and being reflective of their own work and not making them work really, really hard.
Let them highlight something that they would like some help on. This is a great way to foster our relationships with each other. We have some great ideas, and as the kids get older and into the tween and teen years, there'll be things that you think, well, if you just did this little thing, it would be really good. But they have all the agency that they want at this point. They may even have said, I don't need your help. I don't want your help. But we need to be able to foster that relationship so when they are having a time on something that they can actually ask you, you know, I'm having trouble with this introductory sentence or um, how do I get better sound quality on this work that I'm handing in or I really want to do that thing where the letters fly all over the place for my introduction and I can't see how to do that. I want a really good ending sentence that pulls all these things together. Um, I've got this headline, it's not making um, as much of sense as I want it. What headline would you use? Um, I think I've got my paragraphing right, but should I indent it or should I use a, leave a space? Um, I need you to listen to my speech because I've got this really good idea, but I, I'm just not sure whether it works. Can you listen to it? And I need you to listen like over and over again. I have this layout and I think it's really good, but I'm not sure if the yellow is gray or whether I should have it in blue. Or maybe it's one of the steps in the multi-step question that they're just not sure if they're doing it correctly. Can you check what it is? You know, these are the conversations we want our kids to be able to come to us and talk to us. But when they come, it's like a gentle, special thing that they're giving to us when they say, can you help me? Many, many times we are short with them. We aren't kind about our response. Didn't you know this? I thought you knew this already. That's terrible. Why would you do that? It looks horrible. This is the worst way that you could have done it. We we say things without meaning to because we're in a hurry. We just didn't think about the words that were coming. And so next time they don't come to us. They don't say anything. And so we need to be guarded about how we approach the answer when they come to us. It is a huge ask to ask for help. So fostering that bond and responding appropriately is really our responsibility. Have some pet peeves that the kids know you for when you go through their homework. Often I say, okay, if you're gonna show me this work, what am I always gonna say to you? What will I always say that I wanna make sure that you have done? And that they should be able to tell you what your pet peeves are, that you have maybe one or two things that you always ask them, and it depends on maybe the child or their age, that you always ask them. This is really useful because for them, they hear our voice in their head all the time. And gradually over time, when they stop coming to us to ask for help as they become more independent, they will hear these things in their mind and think, oh, this is a checklist. Mum used to always say, have you done this? Have you done this? And I can check that now for myself. So a few things like be, an overuse of a word. Maybe they use said all the time or then and then. And you say, I want you to cut out half of them. I want you to change them. I want you to find a better word. That they get used to changing those words. Maybe they love PowerPoints where things are zooming all over the place and it's a really active PowerPoint and you've said to them, okay, no zooming letters for more than three slides or something, I don't know. And as well as having pet peeves, it's great to have things that you are 
always excited about, that they know that you get excited when you see these things. Often they're things to do with excellence and to moving them forward and to do things better, but not such high standards that they feel that they're unobtainable. So it might be in math that you see all of their working out and that they didn't screw up the piece of scratch paper and throw it in the the bin or the trash, that they kept it or you can see all the workings out so you can work with them and see what they did wrong or you know what's there because you know that workings out is really important. It might be that you see parts of paragraphs that you know that didn't make it into the final piece but they've kept it because in fact they needed a sentence a little later on and they didn't scrub it all out so you can read underneath it or they didn't erase it. It might be that you are encouraging neatness and so that's something that you want to say, oh, your handwriting was amazing and you, you comment on that. Maybe it was the layout, maybe it was the quality of the work, the words that they've chosen to use or the pictures or the media that they've used. Maybe it's the quantity, usually they went for a few sentences and today they've done a whole page and that's really amazing. But having pet peeves and things that make you excited gives kids a checklist inside their own mind about things that they know that people will ask of them. The next part is really interesting. How do we respond when they don't complete it? So the time is up. They've not managed to finish their homework for the many, many reasons. Maybe part of it was their fault or all of their fault. Maybe it was just one of those things that have happened to do with family circumstances or just life in general. What do we do? Our reaction and what we do is really key here. Do we rescue them? Do we finish it off? Do we complain and chide and tell them off about their terrible time management skills and make them feel terrible? What do we do at this point? Where our tension goes and our tone of voice, because these will impact the way that homework is done in our house. One thing I think that we miss out on is questions after the work is done. Instead of complaining and being upset only about the work, you didn't complete it very well, you didn't work hard enough on it, you ran out of time, that's because you were playing on electronics or you were playing outside and you didn't give yourself enough time, you're going to get a low score, you're not going to do very well, you know, instead of complaining about all of those things, it's great if we can actually ask questions and see what their thoughts are on it because the complaining doesn't help them move forward. So before the kids get the feedback from the teacher, how well do you think you did is a great question to ask. And pause, give them enough time to kind of think it through and for them to talk about it longer than, I think I did okay, or good, or bad. Kind of pause after they've said that and give that time for them to kind of think a bit more so that we're not judging them. Let them reflect on how they've got on. That's a much better question to ask than complaining about the work that they didn't get done. 
It's also helpful if you if you're one of these parents that feel like rescuing your child, you know, finishing off the work for them because you know it's just five more minutes, but they just had to go to bed and you just could finish it off real quick. Instead of doing that, asking the question, how well do you think that you did? Kids are pretty good at being honest about what's going on there. Another question, are you proud of the work that you're doing? Okay, also a neutral tone. Asking that question helps them to really evaluate what they have done. Are they pleased that it took all this time to do? Yes, because it's a really good product. Or no, it took all this time and it still didn't look what they wanted it to do and it was really frustrating. There's many different things that that happen and being able to kind of talk it through is, is cathartic. It makes you feel better about what's going on. Somebody else can agree with you or disagree with you. Sometimes you think something was really good. The amount of times um, my kids have said, this is an amazing piece of work. And I've thought, mm, no, not quite. And other times when they've said, this is a terrible piece of work. I really hate it. And I've thought, actually, this is really good. That just being able to have a conversation and to be able to talk it through both ways for you to have some kind of consensus about what we think good is and what we think not good is from both points of view. Another question, what would you do differently? Maybe there's nothing and that's a good time for us to talk into that moment and speak to the kids about what we can do differently and tell them, well, if you set a time limit or started this earlier, what made you stumble that you didn't expect? Again, this is a good time to just listen and hear what they have to say. We already know perhaps what the stumbling was or maybe we didn't we may be able to help them with understanding of how to do that. Maybe they had to learn a new software or they couldn't get internet connection towards something and if they knew how to do it, it would have been easier. These are easy fixes for us to help them with for next time. Again, gently asking these questions without accusing, using these types of questions to help move them forward and to support them about what will happen the next time. You don't need to use all of these questions, but these types of questions are really helpful because they say things like, I ran out of time to do my last spelling words, or I researched so many videos I didn't have time to add them all, or I didn't understand the work and when I asked a few people, no one replied. Now you can go deeper with each of those comments and guide them to another way or next time Pausing and giving kids time to reflect without judgment is a powerful tool for our kids to learn. It's hard to not just jump in with our experience and save them and tell them and explain, but giving them time to acknowledge their needs is a valuable life skill. Eventually, there will be time when you get to say, when you have spelling words, let's have a look at your timing before you start and we can figure it out together. Or they might themselves get there and ask you. Once they get their work back, often they've seen other examples in class. They've seen their friends, they've seen um, the other examples from other, other classes maybe. There's been some talk about it, maybe on the bus, on the way to school. There's some buzz about the activities. They've seen more than one person and they've started to judge the work that they've got. Many schools have student marking and peer assessment 
teachers may have talked a lot in class about the really good examples and shared those um, without names. Also, the ones that have missed the mark without names as a general guidance for next time. There's a lot of feedback and reflection that happens in class that might get missed if the kids aren't paying attention. Also, some homework isn't even gone over in class, so it's worth instilling a practice of self-reflection as part of your homework rhythm. What a rubric and a grade doesn't give, though, is a point about what to do next in that class. It's just an assessment of what they did. Getting your child to reflect on even one thing they might try for the next piece helps to cement the knowledge that everything we do is linked and we learn and grow from what we do now and what we decide to do next. All kids need to strive and be challenged. Many of our kids coast in some area and this is what will get them moving. A child with, let's say, a 95% needs to reflect on what they did well on their homework and know to repeat it again. So a good question to ask is, what did you do to get that result? You know, they come home all bouncy, I got 95% and you go, that's great. What did you do to get that result? This is a good question um, as they can go through that process of what steps they took and it helps to remind them of all the steps that they took and we can fill in the bits and maybe as they're doing it, they'll modify things about how they can simplify it or make it shorter or better and kind of talk through the process. This is a good thing to be able to do, talk about your process. A child with a lower grade, whatever lower grade means to you, needs to reflect on what they did well too, because there is likely something that they did do well. And let's not miss that in the hurry to get to the next part, we often just overlook when, when children have got a little lower grade, the thing that they did do well. That's important. But both types of child need to find one doable thing to improve for next time. More than one makes it unmanageable. So start small. Those that write it down gain the most progress. Having a place to write these reflections give the kids a chance to notice patterns. And like a gratitude, gratitude journal, see what is going well and have a growth mindset about what they can't do yet. Many schools have a student write targets on the top of the work they're about to start or they use a separate document to keep all of their targets and progress. They might even have a portfolio of the work that they do where they can have a reflection piece where they can talk about all of that and reminded about their pieces of work so they can keep really good pieces or show their progress. Sometimes a teacher will share the standard for the lesson and the kids know what they are supposed to be learning. This is so handy when they come home when they say that they're stuck because they can look up this information or at least they have some idea about what they want to learn. An example, knowing that you got 7 out of 10 for a math worksheet isn't as helpful as knowing the work that you're doing was on adding number bonds to 10. Looking deeper at the answers, you clearly understand that 4 plus 6 equals 10 and 2 plus 8 equals 10. You can do those types of sums. But the three word problems that are on the sheet, you got two of them wrong out of the three. So for next time, you can see that you really need to work on number bonds to 10 word problems and you can know 
that you are pretty confident with simple sums of number bonds. That's more useful information than 70%, which seems so final and depressing compared to the reflection, which seems somewhat more helpful. I saw a really clever way called DIRT that I'll leave a link to in the show notes that helps kids reflect on their schoolwork that I'll leave in the comments. This part of learning often gets missed out. The evaluation, the assessment, and the reflection of our own work or the kids' own work. That you need to be doing it whilst you're doing the work and at the end. Strong students have a good sense of what they do well and they can talk about it. Not just that they can talk about the numbers and the percentages, but they can talk about what actually that they can do well. In this example that we used, that they are pretty confident that they can do simple sums of number bonds. It might be that they can use capital letters really consistently in sentences, or that they're able to um, add sound and um, a transcript to a podcast that they're doing. They have a really strong idea of how to do that. Stronger students know what they need supporting on, so they know I'm not so good at word problems to do with number bonds. And I have real trouble with adding really descriptive words, for example, into my work. You can only improve when you know what you need to improve. And so knowing that you got 70% or 55% or 95% is really not as helpful as when you actually know specific things that you could do. If this type of reflection or conversation doesn't happen at your school, you are able to adapt and do a simplified kind of version of this at home that doesn't take a long time. I've given you lots of examples and kind of talked it through with you, but when you actually do it with your kids, it doesn't need to take so long and you don't need to do all of it. This type of reflection feeds right back into the homework work cycle. So the next time you are back in the subject, you know what to talk about. So today we've talked about guided homework, moving all the way through to independent homework and how we can do so many different things to support our kids and teach them how to have their own agency, especially around homework, for us to be able to withdraw confidently and know that they can try, for us to be able to give our school age kids chances and choices and opportunities to try new things. I've given you some resources for you to be able to use and I would love to hear what you do to help your child succeed doing their homework so that you can withdraw slowly from homework so that they can take control of their homework for themselves. Make sure to share your thoughts with us about this episode on social media using the hashtag GNFSAK, Growing Nimble Family School Age Kids and make sure to tag my accounts. You can find me at on Instagram and Twitter as Nimble Families and on Facebook as Raising School Age Kids. Or you can share your ideas in the Facebook group, The Society of Nimble Parents. In the show notes, I have two handy PDFs, six questions to ask your school-aged child after homework and helping school-aged kids correct their work go to growingnimblefamilies.com forward slash 213. Please continue to share the love for the podcast by sharing with friends, texting those who you think should listen. If you listen on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or Google Play, please consider leaving a review. 
thanks for being here today. I know there are many things that you could be doing right now, maybe helping with homework, and I'm glad that you've chosen to be here. See you again next time. Goodbye.